Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to the Ask the Industry podcast, episode forty-five. My name's Simon Kane, and for those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the worlds of stand-up, comedy, radio, TV, and today, live performance. Adam Bloom is a comedian who has been performing for twenty-three years. He's sold out Edinburgh shows. He's written for radio. He's appeared on TV, and he's written for a number of other comedians. I got him on the podcast to talk about his career overall, how he went full time, how you can go full time, how to sell out Edinburgh shows, how to smash corporate gigs, and pretty much everything in between. There is something in here for pretty much every type of performer. I really enjoyed chatting to him; he was amazing and really giving. And I hope you get as much out of it as I did. I'm not going to say much more because I want to just get straight into the episode. But if you would like to support the podcast, please do join the Facebook group. It is called RC Industry Podcast, and it is on Facebook. I would love to get us over 800 members. We are so close to that right now. Reasons for joining the group, as if you needed one, are that you can find out about guests ahead of time. It's the only place you can officially ask questions for guests ahead of time. So if there are any guests coming up that you particularly want to ask something to, I've got TV commissioners coming on. I've got agents coming on. I've got radio producers coming on. I've got everything. So if you'd like to ask any of these people questions, join the group. You get to ask them anything you want to via me. Also, if you could subscribe to the podcast, it will mean that you get these episodes directly into your podcast player of choice when they come out. So you will get them on the day they come out. So feel free to hit that subscribe button. If you would like to support this podcast, please do consider buying my book. There is only a matter of days left on the Kickstarter. So if you're on the fence about buying it, please do consider helping me out it would really mean a lot to me the book is called how to make a living by working for free it is a how to guide for artists to build a community around what they do and to harness a relationship with that community and as a result ask them to support them and their work and the future of their career if you found this podcast interesting and you've enjoyed it and you are and you feel like you are part of the community that I'm trying to build and you would like to build a community for something you are doing whether it be live performance a podcast a video blog anything like that you might find this book interesting in fact I would wager you will find this book interesting so please give it a read there is a couple of sample chapters in the show notes but there is also a audiobook version of that if you don't have time to read it it's 5 pound for a digital copy it's 8 pound for a paperback copy and it helps me continue to create stuff please do support that 
it really helps me out. Without any more delays, this is Adam Bloom. I did a tweet last year that um, said, um, oh. Yeah, sorry, you've moved it close to your mouth. That's fine. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine, that's fine. I Uh, apologise for that. No, that's absolutely fine. It was just clipping. Um, You know what's funny is that's my my stage distance. (laughs) So I actually did that. I was thinking about, I did two mainstream comics I did did sound checks with in the last year and both of them did this one two one two one two okay one two then when the show started they went good nice to be here nice to be here why'd you do that yeah. it was profoundly different yeah I mean mine was only at least an inch or two mm. okay I did a tweet last year that said um, if promoters agents and journalists knew anything about comedy they'd still be doing it right and that did well among comics. Well among comics, yes. Yeah. I don't. I didn't think Cape Copstick would retweet it. No. No, I don't think she's on Twitter. <laughs> Fair Is enough. she? That I would explain know. why then. Are you? I mean, you you joined you joined Twitter a while ago. I joined it in 2010 and then left it. Really? Yes, I left it in 2011, the day my wife went back to work after maternity leave, maternity leave, right. uh, because I was being left alone with my young daughter and I didn't want to be tweeting yeah. a stranger about something while she's showing me a Lego brick. I just. Yeah. You know, I'm quite obsessive, and I thought I'm going to turn my back completely on it. Then I started again in 2012, I suppose. When she stopped playing with Lego, or uh, no? When my <laughs> wife, uh, I, what was it? I think it's when my, I think it's when my second daughter was born, and I became my wife became a full time housewife, so I had a bit more time to myself. Okay. Um, that's not when it was actually. She was there. We go. She was on maternity leave the second time. Right. before my second child was born so she was always there okay and i thought you know what i've got time to tweet now and there's a little bit there's a kind when a when a child's really young they have they need a lot more attention mm. so she was at home to look after my daughter and she's a bit more independent because she's doing stuff so i thought oh you know what, i can join and it's a bit obsessive isn't it to, to leave twitter just because you've got some uh child care on your hands mm. you know you can put the phone down that day and get back to it the next day mm. but i'm a little bit all or nothing you see mm. No, I know that. Like, for example, you when you joined, I remember you saying you weren't going to follow anyone. That's when I rejoined, yes. Yeah, yes. yeah. So that's like, again, an all or nothing type thing. Yes, it is, isn't it? And how how are you... Because, I mean, what are you, what are you actually wanting out of social media? Because... Um, only one thing. God. The joy of tweeting an idea that's funny and knowing it's been reaching lots of people. Okay. Yeah. So do you not... You don't use it for publicising gigs or shows? Or? Oh, very rarely. But that's not... That would be more like the promoter says to me can you tweet this it's not selling very well or something like that you know or just can you tweet this um i don't i'm not a big promoter of what i'm up to no okay no. and you're not on any other channel really but no what's the reason for that i don't when i heard about facebook i didn't like the idea of rejecting a friend request <laughs> and i know that the people say i just ignore them so they don't you can pretend you didn't see them but if you bump into someone at a party and they say oh i friend requested you the other day you can't then get out of it and go Oh, uh, uh, you have to say, yeah. oh, I didn't want to be your friend. You got, you, it's very hard to make up an excuse that lasts forever. Mm. So I didn't really like the idea of that. And from what I've heard, there's a lot of bitching and a lot of people moaning and a lot of politics. And I'm I'm not attracted to it. Have you ever been on it? No. Okay. Well, because we were talking before we started about like trying stuff before you dismiss it. Yes, and... I, I, no, fair point. Fair point. Green eggs and ham. Dr. Zeus. No, I'm not, I'm not using your words against no, no, you. I no, 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 fair enough. Um, and, and I might like, I might try and enjoy it. Now, that's occurred to me many times. Mm. Um, but I just, 
I don't want to be friends with people I don't care about or don't know and have people in my life because there's something also about being a comedian. This sounds like I'm putting myself on a pedestal, but if you do a gig and you've, some, you've made someone laugh, they, I don't want that relationship to change to personal. I don't want it to. Be, I don't want to be, them to be my friend. I want them to be an audience member who comes back to see me. I don't want to make friends with my fans. I want to keep the distance a little bit professional. That's really interesting. Well, yeah, because then they then they cease to be a fan. Then they that then the person. I mean, I don't want the person to show me pictures of their kids because I want the relationship to be. They come to my gig and they laugh, mm. I, and I'll talk to them afterwards. Of course, I'm certainly I'm as chatty after a gig as anyone, mm. but I don't swap phone numbers with people because I've got my real friends. I have don't have time for my real friends. I'm so busy. So why do I want to spend time with people who aren't my friends who don't really care about me that much? I suppose. And and this is just yeah. from what you're saying. It's a different stage of life for you than to me. Because for me, I go out of my way to try and make friends with the people who come and see me on a regular basis, or, oh, really? or like come back. Really? Yeah, because I think I think they're the they're the one percenters. They're the one that like really care about you at, the, at this stage of my career, anyway. And as a result, I want to invest in them as much as they're investing in me. So they'll tell their friends and maybe bring extra friends down. And you, you know, that, so I'm looking at it as building a fan base rather than through being friends with somebody. Yeah. Okay, I, I I don't see it that way, but I suppose you're of a generation where the the how old are you? I'm 29 now. Yeah, I'm 45. So yeah. I've haven't lived around social media right. for as high a percentage of my adult life mm. as you have. So I don't I don't look at the people that way. I have great uh, appreciation of my fans. And if someone emails me through my website and says, "Love what you do," I go, "Give me your address. I'll send you a CD mm. for free." You know, you're going to get a lot of emails. <laughs> <laughs> it depends how much passion they have in the email. If they're clearly yeah. really into what I do, yeah. or they say, "Have you got a DVD out?" I go, "No, but here's have this." Mm. So, uh, so I, I'm definitely I chat after gigs probably more than more than ninety five percent of comedians mm. to the people who've enjoyed my gig. I just don't want an ongoing relationship. I don't want to be, people say, "How are your children getting on?" Because they don't know my children. Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't let someone in that far. Like, I mean, I mean, to be fair, most of my material... I mean, you've seen me a couple of times. Yeah, but great, great. Mo- thank you. Mo- most of my material is quite self-reflective and introverted and uh, not intro- um, introspective and about my life. So they will know a little bit about me anyway. Yeah. But I, I would feel awkward if, yeah, someone came up to me and said, oh, how's your partner and you broke up? Or how's your yeah. kid and your kid's ill? And, you, you know, I wouldn't want to answer that. Yeah. But for me, the, f- the friendship goes as far as, you know paying an interest in their life being being you know aware of where they are for example geographically so if i'm coming back to them i you know i have sort of lists on twitter like private ones of you know where they are in the country and if i'm coming to that area i'll tweet them and say hey i'm coming back if you that's great and you document me. all that yeah. yeah oh that's really impressive i'm really pedantic that's really but that's really impressive but it's also ambitious as well um i know eddie Izzard's original manager and he said he had a map of the mm. world uh, so he had a map of all the clubs on, and he had pins in the clubs he was playing and not the ones he wasn't playing. It was all about domination. You know, it's like mm. Hitler's Hitler's plan to invade Europe. Yeah. And uh, I was extremely driven as a new comic, but I didn't see it as maps. You know, I, I didn't see it. That seems very... And he was all about mailing lists very early on. Mailing lists, mailing lists, mailing lists. Mm. Um, but anyway, um, no, that's admirable. I just... But anyway, the answer to your Facebook thing is, yes, maybe I should try it. But I didn't. I didn't like the sound of it, and therefore didn't try it. Fair enough. That's fair enough. 
Um, we were talking just before we got on this about how you've sold out. Was it every Edinburgh run you've done? Yeah, I mean, uh, my first Edinburgh took two weeks to sell out, but when I got the first four star review, I I sold out every night after that. Yeah. Okay, so let's go. Let's go from this then. When you first went to Edinburgh, yeah. what was your profile like? Uh, unknown. Okay. Yeah. So you were an unknown comic, and you were in a paid venue. I was in. A, uh, yeah, this is pre. Free, free fringe way before okay. way before 1996 right and I did a solo show at the Cafe Royal and I was flying I fly talk about being driven I fly from 9 in the morning till 6 at night every day all day until I was getting um, enough people in to call it a show mm. and then when I sold out I stopped flying at all because I'd done it mm. I'd done my work and then the review, you know, the flying got the audience in. The mm. audience got the review to be good enough because you can't review yeah. a show of two people in the audience. And then the uh, four-star review in the list uh, sold, sold my show up for the rest of the month. Okay. Yeah, and then 97 played to as little as 11 people, got a five-star review in the list, and on the page of the top five comp- shows to see, which was Johnny Vegas, Sean Locke, uh, Paul Zenon, magician, me, and one other. I can't remember who the other one was, but but it was a, it was a, it was great to be on that list, mm. uh, and um, so I sold out totally. So I went from eleven to sold out. Wow. Okay. And then ninety eight had the five star Scotsman. Went from I was on Edinburgh bus that documentary following people around the Edinburgh festival. But still, even with even with Channel Four coverage, mm. I was these people around the country, not necessarily going to Edinburgh. A good review in Edinburgh, a five star the Scotsman, is reaching people who are actually there mm. so you can pl- be on tv to a million people over the country it didn't actually make that much difference to my show sales mm. but the five-star view in the scotsman did and then by 99 i, ha- I had tv p- profile and then i saw 99 2001 2004 a couple of years off and then 2007 sold out weekends only and maybe 120 the rest of the time but but so nine my point is i dropped off mm. 2007 because i had two years off and didn't do much television, if at all, and then had two Radio 4, three Radio 4 series. So I suppose I just held in yeah. as having a profile. But if I went up next year, I probably wouldn't sell out a 50-seater venue. Okay. So you would attribute your flying ethic and that four-star review in the list to selling out your original first show? Yes. I was all, oh, I, Obviously, you're having a good show as well. Sorry. Yes, <laughs> I, no, but word of mouth is good as well. Word of mouth is far more important than people realise because people will tell 20 people because they're excited mm. that they saw a good show. Um, everyone likes to be able to say, I saw this thing, I recommend it to you. Mm. Like a film you saw. Mm. Um, I also did the Comedy Zone, I must say, actually. I did the Comedy Zone for Avalon uh, at the Pleasance the same year as I did my one-man show. Mm. And I said to them, I'll only do it if I can fly your audience on the way out. And they mm. said, yeah, no problem with that. I've got no problem with that. So I was telling 170 people about my one-man show. That helped a bit. Yeah. But without a doubt, the four-star on the list that's out there for a week as an, a new comic, an unknown comic, yeah. is a great bit of publicity. And the Scotsman the next year, was that Copstick? Or was that... No, that was... Um, I can't remember it so long ago. But it was it was five-star with a with a black and white photo half page review right I mean it's a big big review yeah it's a big deal yeah because well, now I mean the, you haven't been to Edinburgh for a while is there no, a, a reason why you yeah 2007 was the last time I went 2008 I got married 2009 I planned a baby 2010 had a baby 2011 uh, moved house 2012 had another baby and then 2013 14 15 my life's my marriage has been not functioning so I've always had every year something 
positive and now negative that's filled that year. And once you have children as well, you go, do I want to be away for a month? Harry Hill didn't have to in Edinburgh after he became, he's got three daughters. He didn't do Edinburgh once after he became a father. Not once. It's a whole other thing. Do I want to be away from my children for a month? Do I want to drag my children up to Edinburgh for a month? Mm. Will they enjoy it for a month? I mean, I would say maybe if you did a two-week run and went back on your day off in the middle or or they came up towards the end, that would be good, wouldn't it? Two-week run with your kids coming up yeah. for the last week or five days. Um, when you're not working and you can sort of see shows and stuff. Oh, no, when I am working. Oh, okay. But daytime you see kids' shows oh, yeah, yeah, and nighttime yeah. you work. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. I mean, you could absorb yourself in the festival and at nighttime get an early night when you know the kids are sleeping and yeah. be in their timetable so it can be done uh but i do a lot of writing for other people i've written for 45 people now mm. i mean several for just one day here and there some just helping out a friend um but but uh maybe 25 people have had repeat business from mm. so that means that i feel like i'm writing all year round for other people as opposed to my own project mm. which is great financially yeah of course but not great for my own career yeah, because it means you're the man behind the... Yes, uh, yes. Well, I don't want to say man, because it could be any of the... Yeah. Yes. Um, no, I'm a man. No, no but the <laughs> person you're writing for could be either... Oh, is what I meant. I'm a man behind the person. Yes, that's what I meant. I was trying yes. not to got, I got you. get into that debate. Um, no, that's interesting. Cause, cause, so it wasn't... Because obviously Edinburgh has changed quite a bit year on year Guess, since yes. you've last been up there. Yes. And I was trying to find out whether it was to do with the economics and the way Edinburgh... Because... I mean, I, for example, even accommodation is sort of just a, a loan thing for most. You know, it's so wow, expensive and wow. stuff. And and you know, when you first went up there, was it ninety eight? You said ninety six. Ninety six. Sorry, I'm imagining it wasn't as expensive as it is now. No, but people leave their flats and and rent them out because they make so much money. Mm. Um, yeah, make so much money um, in rent. So I've just had a flashback to uh, a story, but I, I, it's not relevant to what we're talking about. Um, uh, it was always expensive. What the most significant change, apart from my profile dipping, is the free fringe. Because mm. now I gather there are so many shows that threatens the... It's like Uber cabs to uh, Halo or Addison Lee. Suddenly someone's undercut you by 50%. That's going to affect your business, isn't it? Potentially, yeah. I, I've i never looked at it like that, to be oh, honest. Okay, maybe I'm wrong. Well, no, be, well... Maybe, I, I don't know for sure. I think the free fringe is a great thing. And I think the way that it... I mean, f- for me, doing the show for free, quote unquote, because you aren't actually doing it for free, you are asking for money at the end. If you were doing it for free, you would just let them leave. Um, but for, for me, it just means that you're setting the show up in a slightly different way. Because instead of you um, instead of you paying to be in a nice venue, or paying to be in a perceivedly slightly nicer venue, in other words, university, you, in a lot of cases, then you're just doing it in a pub, as you would do in London, for example. And so they have a different perspective on what they're going to be seeing and maybe have a different vibe from you and from the show itself. And that's that's the only difference for me, in a way. I just don't... I don't view it as a as a kind of undercutting. I view it as a... Oh, no, no. What I'm saying is if I went back to the Pleasance, which I've oh, done okay. every single year... Uh, the package show, the, the my first one-man show wasn't there, but I did a package show there, like, six, seven, eight, nine, yeah... Seven years I've done the at mm. Pleasance. My point was going back to the Pleasance would be a different experience for two reasons. One, there are other shows that are, that are ch- cheaper to see because mm. they're free if you if you don't want to pay for them. Mm. And secondly, because my profile's dipped, I am pro free fringe. I think it's a wonderful opportunity for people who can't afford to to risk losing fifteen thousand pounds. 
so I'm not I'm not saying it differently to you. All I'm saying is, with regard to me going back to the Pleasance, there's there are lots of sharks circling mm. because I'm not I'm competing with more shows and I'm not on television. So you would you go back and do a free show? That's a very good question. Possibly yes. I mean, there are a lot of people who have been doing paid friend shows and now have gone free. Essentially, Brendan Burns did a few. Yeah, Brendan Burns. Yeah. Same with uh, Stuart Goldsmith. He did one this year. Well, okay. Um, I, I mean, oh no, not Richard Herring. Richard Herring stayed in London because of a kid as well. So yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just think I, I find it interesting that people are going like not you don't you want to say backwards, but you you you're going to the free fringe rather than to the paid one because it costs a lot less. It's it's beautiful. Someone who's won the comedy award in Edinburgh at mm. Brendan mm. for him to do that. It sets the path because it it means other people can go oh maybe it's not so uh undignified to drop that status okay yeah, yeah. do you f- i mean because it because it was for a while seen as oh it's free well there's a stigma attached to holding a bucket out the end of your show isn't there uh yeah i think there probably was at one point i don't think there isn't as much now okay i mean i don't feel it really i i most no but you haven't done years of playing a theater where it, yeah, they, they, t- it's nice that when people hand their money over at box office, get a ticket with your name on it, come to the show, and then a yeah. month or two later, you get a, a check for one amount. That, they, that's quite a nice way yeah. to to live. Um, I, I haven't got come to terms with how I'd feel holding a bucket. Like, I I I can't stand at the back of a room selling CDs. But I've seen Brendan Burns, one of my best friends, mm. standing look, looking at looking like a cinema ice cream seller. Mm after his own gig so he's on stage being all rock and roll and opinionated and then standing with a load of mivies yeah um, I thought if I was going to do that I'd dress up as a, uh, yeah. an ice cream seller with a doily like a 1970s doily yeah. and have the thing around my neck go the whole hog go the whole hog and yeah. make it ironic I yeah. love that the Raymond and Mr Timkins when they set up their props in the yeah. interval they wear um, brown overalls and yeah. caps I love that yeah, yeah. I uh, I compare that to Frank you know Frank Turner the singer no he um he, you know, he goes up and he does his, you know, hour set or whatever, however long he's doing, and then he, you, you come outside and he's he's run round to the front and he's always selling his own merch, oh, and wow. and it doesn't matter how, you know. I remember the the first time I've seen him not sell his merch was when I saw him at Alexander Palace recently, and it was literally because there was just no way he could, you know, there was Physically just too many people there. there. Right, right, right. Yeah, uh, but I've seen him, I've seen him, and I've seen him about ten times, and every time, you know, there's a thousand seaters, there's a five hundred seater, however many people it is. He always usually runs around and And he knows more people will buy one if they see him at the Yeah. Th- yeah, Peter Kay does that. Plus time. he signs it. You know what I mean? Like he'll right, he'll right. make the effort and he'll get your name and stuff and you feel and you'll take a minute to talk to you and stuff. Gotcha, that's great. So it's kind of, but it comes down to that I mean that's not a friendship thing because I'm not friends no, with him. That's the level I do it at. Okay. Having a, having a personal moment after the show. Right. Oh, yeah. I'll be outside the pleasance in the courtyard one second after my gig so people come out and walk over to me and they get the extra experience of having spoken to me and I love that but they're not swapping phone numbers with them and I'm not okay. I'm not getting them to private message me questions about my per- personal life I think there's a okay. th- there's a there's a prof- there's a there's a professional relationship you can have with an audience member mm. and then there's letting them too much in I just I just don't like if if my wife's sick Mm. And somehow through Facebook, they've heard it. They go, oh, how's your wife getting on? It's like, I know it's concern. I appreciate it's concern, mm. but it's a bit personal. Okay. And also, I, I, I suppose someone I don't know finding out about my life, I find a bit strange. Like, how, who told you? Yeah, yeah, I guess. I suppose if, I mean, for me, whatever I put on the internet, I presume is public, you know, everything's there. It's publicly why available. Which is my why. wife's sick. Yeah, exactly. Right. I mean, 
I mean, I went for I, I went for a drink with a couple of people who came to my show because they were like, we're going to go for a drink, and I said fine. I went to dinner with a couple of them as well because they were like, we're you know, my show was at a time when I needed food afterwards, and they were going somewhere I wanted to go, so I went for a meal with them. Right. For for me, that's just you know, just because they're there and I didn't yeah, want to yeah. go and eat on my own. What's funny is I don't do this, but the last gig I did with you, there were so few people there that I bought everyone a drink in the audience afterwards really? and stayed with them for that time and tweeted a, a photo. It's on my pit. I missed Have a that. look at my pictures. Oh, shit. I said, yeah, you know, uh, it's not often you get to buy your whole audience to drink. <laughs> yeah, no, there was, I think there was some and then they left and then it ended up being three people in the end. And it was, was it three or? Four peng punters. Yeah. And two of them was a, a gay couple, two girls. Yeah. So there was only there was only one heterosexual man in the audience. Sorry, there was only one heterosexual woman in the audience. Right. Yeah, there was two gay women, one heterosexual woman, and one man. Right. No, it's four women. It's four women. <laughs> Did you play the odds and just buy them all a drink? Was that what it was? <laughs> <laughs> I just saw them in the bar. And it was such a fun experience. But it was four women. It was four women. Hmm. Um, and, of course, the axe. So that, yeah. that made it seven people. Yeah. Uh, but no, it was, it was just fun. It was just fun. Part of me was like, it's quite a high percentage of my fee I'd spent on drinks. Yeah. But it was a, it was nice to be able to do it. It was a moment. Yeah, it was a moment. Yeah. It was a moment because there were shots. Yeah. Oh, nice. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> um, well, I was going to ask if you, because you won the Punters Award. 1998. Yeah. And you didn't mention that when you were saying that stuff helped you sell out. Do you think? Cause it, no, because that was at last weekend. Oh, okay. That was at last weekend. Oh God! I, I, without sounding arrogant, I was selling out up to two days in advance. Right before that even happened. That doesn't sound arrogant, no. It just—it <laughs> does, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, it, it's factual. It's so. factual. Well, no, but it's, I'm proving a point. I won that award on the last weekend, mm. and prior to that weekend, I was selling out two days in advance. So you can't—you you can't sell out. Yeah. Much more than two days in advance, you can sell out the whole run. But but yeah. but the point is that award wasn't known by many people. The next step, my gig, the audience didn't know about it. Right. Um. So I was selling out on the back of a five-star... Well, if, I'm, if we want some arrogance, here we go. I was selling on the back, on the back of three five-star reviews, one four-star review, and TV coverage on a weekly basis. Mm. It, it was an amazing year. It was the best year Edinburgh I've ever had. And then I won the award in Edinburgh on the last weekend. But unfortunately, because the Perry is so big, and certainly was big then, people weren't that interested in that other award. Mm. People didn't go, who won the po- po- Polygram Award? Yeah. It was just like, oh, you know, there's some girls walking around with T-shirts on with polygram on the back of them. And, you know, it was quite sad, really, because I just won a award voted for by the public mm. and no one knew. No one seemed Except to care. Except the people who voted. No. Did they not even No, know? no, no. Oh, wow. They came up for a weekend, filled their form in or, and then forgot about it and went home. <laughs> wow. Okay. Because there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot more awards since you've been up there that have, like, started up and in Edinburgh. Yeah, too many, I think, now. Okay. Because, you know, it's quite nice. You know, when it was just the Perrier, mm. it would be, and no, there was no newcomer until Harry Hill came along. They invented mm. the newcomer for Harry Hill. Did you know that? Well, as in, as there, in There he... was no such thing as a newcomer. Harry Hill's first Edinburgh was so impressive, they invented an award for him. Really? Yes. So they, they couldn't give him any other award? So well, he to... wasn't on the shortlist, and they went, you know what? It, it seems unfair that someone this original and this exciting hasn't got anything. Right. So, he, no, he wasn't on the shortlist. But they went, you know what? Consolation Prize, best newcomer. And then that stayed. But mm. then in 90... Actually, not many people know this. 1999, uh, people started putting Perrier uh, newcomer nominee on their posters. Right. But there's no such thing. 1998, uh, when they awarded Tommy Tin and the, the Perrier mm. and the Bouche 
Julian Barrett and Noel Fielding, the Newcomer Award, they said, and it was on Edinburgh bus, so I got the tape because it was a programme I was mm. following, being followed on. Jenny Eclair said, 1998 has been a really good year for young blood, and the Perio panel would like to thank the following, uh, congratulate the following people. Mm. And they were like Chris Addison and, uh, amongst others, Paul Foote. Mm. Paul Foote was doing a 20-minute set in a package show. So you cannot be nominated for a 20-minute contribution. Yeah. The show can be nominated, but it won't because it's 23 people. Yeah. And my point is, the list had someone on it who was doing 20 minutes because the list was good, new people. Mm. And the next year, I'm not going to name who, someone put on their poster, 1998 Perrier Newcomer nominee. Rubbish. It was a it was a list of congratulations, mm. including someone who's not eligible for a nomination. You mm. see my point, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then the next year, so that year that people had these false claims, they had a, sh- a newcomer shortlist mm. announced. It was almost like the people lying about it gave them the idea. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. I don't know that, of course. No. But the p- bottom line is there were false claims because yeah. there was no shortlist. And then the next year there was a shortlist. Then the shortlist got bigger and bigger. <laughs> yeah. And then next minute you get like nine or 10, 11 people who have been nominated for the award. And it starts to occur to me that it's advertising because the more people boast about it the next mm. year, the more time you see yeah. the word Foster's on your poster. Yeah. But in the old days, it was five people, then one newcomer, then a shortlist for newcomer, mm. and then a shortlist got longer. And then, and it, to, in my opinion, it waters it down. Then, because mm. people put nominee, and a nominee, newcomer, you know, in brackets. Yeah. Then you've got another award. Then you've got a Malcolm Hardy Award. Then you've got mm. then they've got the uh, award for originality, Spirit mm-hmm. of the Fringe, yep. and then the new award I heard about the other day, something else. And then you go, it's going to get to the point where there's only one person who didn't get a nomination, mm. and everyone's got nominated. You may, it's easier to list the people who didn't get nomination mm. eventually, yeah. isn't it? And I think that waters it down. Yeah, so I, when I spoke to Copstick about this, she said comedy shouldn't be uh, everyone gets a, a participation award. There we go. They all, you know, you should you should have people who are disappointed because not everyone, it should be prestigious. It's the first time I've agreed with that lady and I agree with her wholeheartedly. <laughs> Why do you, do you normally not? Let's not go there. Okay, fine. Um, well, you, you said that you've, you have sort of recordings of your show but not commercially available ones. Oh, I'll tell you what it is. I'm, I've done, as I mentioned before, uh, three Radio 4 series mm. and I have them all on MP3 files right. and I can not sell them because I don't own the uh, copyright right. but I can burn a CD myself sign it mm. and post it to someone and that's what I do but it's it's uh, unofficial it's not there's never yeah. sold it's just me making a home thing of, of yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but what about your actual Edinburgh shows or hours do you record those uh, no or? I've got them um, well actually Laughing Stock uh, run by Mike O'Brien a good friend of mine he used to record every show yeah. Probably not all the way through my career, but certainly 96, 97, 98. He's got them audio, on audio, which is great. They're documented. Mm. A really lovely, geeky thing to do, isn't it? Record mm. all the shows he sees professionally. Right. Yeah. yeah. He you know sets it up beforehand and mics you up. Um, and there's a guy called Joel Sanders, who I spent two hours on the phone to today, a good friend of mine. He used to run a club called The Comedy Bunker, which has been taken over by a lovely guy called Phil. Mm. But The Comedy Bunker used to let you do the whole night. So you do two forty oh. fives, and my record time on stage was about nineteen ninety nine. I did now in fifty eight minutes, two minutes short. Isn't that annoying? Yeah. If I'd known, I would just coughed for a bit. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. so yeah, so um, <laughs> and he uh he records them all. So I've got about six different two half shows, mm. ranging from you know an hour and a half to mm. nearly two hours, um, all documented. And I know when I'm an old man, 
I'm not going to be able to play them because they're VHS. <laughs> oh, shit. No, but I've got to get yeah. them converted. But the, yeah. the, point, the point is, when I'm an old man, I'll be very grateful to be able to look back at stuff that I did when I was 27 years yeah, old. Yeah, yeah. Isn't that great? The whole hour and a half all there on video. Yeah. Yeah. But you but you don't sell? They're, they're just for you? No, they're not broadcast quality. They're one, cam- okay. they're one camcorder at the back of a room yeah. with the mic picking it up from the back of the room. But you can hear what I'm saying. It's not, it's not broadcast quality. Okay. No, because I know like people like uh, Chris Evans, you know, Go Faster, Stripe or... Are you aware of Go Faster? Yes, I am. Yeah. Um, so things like that have come along where they're sort of recording people who can't get DVD deals or, or wouldn't ever be offered them. Right. Um, and so I was wondering what your thoughts on that were. It's a great idea. I've got one thing um, that was on Netflix for a year. Uh, it was recorded in Amsterdam, in Tumla, one of my favourite clubs. And I did an hour with three or four cameras and that was uh, there to be released as a DVD and didn't get made. But oh. it, they sold it to Netflix. And the only annoying thing was... it was under foreign film because it was recorded in Amsterdam, which is so stupid. It's not a yeah. foreign film. It's recorded in Amsterdam making a film made in a foreign country. It's an English stand-up comedian speaking in English. Mm. So it only lasted a year. It didn't get rebought. And what's frustrating is no one knew it was there. People stumbled across it. They'd yeah. be recommended. You know, you'd watch a Bill Burr one and it would recommend Adam Bloom. So, mm. th- But you wouldn't find it under mm. comedy because it was under foreign film. Is that annoying? Couldn't you email and say this I don't is know. I weirdly... I didn't. I didn't. Okay. I contact Netflix personally seemed a bit of a. Di- I mean, maybe <laughs> that's what an ambitious person would do. Okay. And I, I'm not ambitious. You, okay. You, was that you? I'm not ambitious at all. I'm hardworking. There's a profound difference. How would you define the difference? Well, a, 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 an ambitious person works out who to get to know, who to schmooze, uh, where to be at the right time, what what techniques to apply. Jimmy Carr's the most ambitious person I've ever met. He would make sure Jimmy Carr would title a show with wording that he wants a journalist to consider when they review the show. That's how manipulative he is. Oh, is that why he calls him like hilarious? Charm offensive. Charm offen- right. Yeah. Um, oh, Jimmy Carr's show is very charming, but also some of the jokes were offensive. Done. Yeah. He's put that in your head by calling the show charm offensive. Um, I'm um, Matt Lucas is an old friend of mine. He knew, he would always know who the head of BBC comedy was or the controller. Mm. Never crossed my mind to know that. All I did was worked hard because I loved my work. Mm. See, that's a big difference. Yeah. Working hard because you love your work doesn't make you ambitious. It makes you someone who loves their work. I'm someone who loves their work. It doesn't make me ambitious. I, I've always had a great passion for comedy. And when I was new, the industry got very excited about that because there was someone young and good. Who mm. was churning over lots of material? Mm. I didn't ask to, to be on TV. I didn't audition for the Polygram Award. I got given it. Mm. You know, I didn't enter a competition. So you're you've never sort of gone for any of that. You've just gone for live work. Uh, what any of that? As in what television? As in TV, television or radio. Came to, television came to me. I got um, Radio Four came to me. Radio Four offered me a series, offered me a pilot. Yeah, uh, and recommissioned it. I didn't go to them and say, "Can I be on the radio?" Um, the BBC stand-up show came to me and offered me the stand-up show. Live at Jonglers, the comedy store, which I've done seven recordings of, came to me. One year, I had a, a sudden, uh, unexpected uh, VAT bill was bigger than I thought it was going to be, and emailed Anderson Creswell directly and mm. said, "Can I, hello, can I have some? T- I'm the most powerful man in mm. comedy, can I have some TV work, please?" 
And he wrote back and went, yeah, yeah, we'll put it on the Comedy Store show, which was 1,500 <laughs> quid for a recording. That was 1,500 quid I needed because I just underestimated. What I'd done is I'd underestimated. I just moved house, mm. bought a car, bought a fridge, bought an alarm, bought a yeah. washing machine, and then underestimated my earnings for the last quarter, got my VAT bill, right. which is money that I've been accumulating that doesn't belong to me, mm. and realised that it was going to wipe my bank account out. So I asked for TV work. But that's right. the only time that I've asked for TV work. It's come to me. Right. And the the point is that, you know, there's something quite... I could have I could have applied myself more in a strategic way than I have done. But I've had a great life. Mm. And... and, and I don't know. They're, I quite like the fact that it's come to me. There's something quite, I don't know, earnest about it, isn't it? You're just doing something mm. and you get work from it. I don't ring clubs and ask them for gigs. They contact me. And it's quite a nice existence. You're just doing what you do and people who want it come and get it. Mm. And I've done just the last five times. Mm. Oh, I auditioned for it the first time. Do you... There we go. I auditioned for Just Laughs. What about, do you think you would have more... So, I mean, how many, how many times do you gig a week, roughly? Five. Five. Do you think you would have... Well, well, I mean, would you want, for one, but do you think you would get more than five gigs a week if you... I don't want to say applied yourself, but if you were to apply yourself to clubs more Yes, often? yes. There were, there were clubs that I um, don't play because I haven't met the person that organises them. Mm. They might not have asked me to do it because they don't have my number, don't know me, or might think I don't want to do their club. Mm. And then suddenly on a Tuesday night when I'm not working, I could be doing their club. But mm. I don't want to work seven nights a week. And and I quite like it just, I like quite like the, there's something quite magical about it just coming to you and you playing with it as it is. You know, the, the writing work. Oh, I've been proactive about writing work, actually. I've contacted okay. a few big names right. and said, look, I've been doing some writing for these people. Do you want me to do some writing for you? And maybe 60% have said yes, which is a, also a nice feeling because it means I've got out and got myself some work mm. but there's something I, I think maybe it's a pride thing there's something about me that uh, I, I, it's a feeling like that I'm putting my hand out and, and going hi please sir can I have some work mm. like an Oliver Twist moment you know can I have some more mm. and like Jimmy Carr would say that's ridiculous getting it put your name out there you know if someone doesn't know you're doing writing work they're not going to ask you to do writing work mm. so if you tell them you're doing it they can know but maybe I've just got a slight awkwardness with the idea of of asking you know okay it suggests it, it suggests that you're not getting enough work or it suggests that you're not earning enough money and you need as opposed to someone ringing me up and going hey do you want to do five weekends at my club this year and you just go yeah please thanks and it's lovely coming to you but do you so you've been, because you've been doing this 22 years. Mm. How long has it been, how long did it take you to get to a stage where enough clubs were contacting you that you didn't have to? Because assumedly you have to four, apply at some point. Four, yeah, four, four, four and a half, five years of very hard work. But that's mm. the thing. You know, I said about me flying all day. Mm. That's saying, please come, please come, please come, please come, please mm. come. Sold out, stop doing it. I'd earned the right to stop asking. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the gigs. God, five years of ringing around. I mean, I was ringing around all day, every day the mm. first year at, for open spots, and mm. then ringing around all day, every way the second year for paid work, or third year maybe, you know. So I suppose it's a case of going, you're doing something you don't necessarily want to do until you don't have to do it anymore. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I just, I'm asking on behalf of, you know, any newer comedians that might be listening to this mm. who think, 
uh, or who might get the misunder- misinterpretation of you saying because obviously the landscape's changed a lot as well since you started sure. which means that there's obviously more competition and arguably the number of clubs has not increased with the same number of no it has it's quite scary yeah it's quite scary so do you think it would be possible i mean maybe not in four years because most people say 10 years now is like the minimum to get to a are you serious yeah wow that's that's pretty much the number most people quote they say it takes 10 years to come an overnight success or to get to a oh you're yeah. talking about television um well no, I'm just, well that's an interesting question because most people just quote 10 years well, and I don't I, know if okay. that means TV. No, if you're good and you're committing yourself properly, I can't imagine it takes 10 years to make a living as a stand-up comedian. And there are probably some newer comics here going, that, oh, that really annoys me because you don't know what it's like. You don't know what it's like, man. But you know what? I do know what it's like when someone on the, an open spot storms so well that the person following them can't, can't follow them. I've seen those guys. I've seen, not, I don't want to mention names, but I've seen uh, a young open spot who's stormed the pants out of two out of the last three gigs I've seen of theirs. <laughs> yeah, but no, I haven't seen you once. It was in front of seven people and it was fantastic. I, it was fantastic. But you. I haven't seen you to 400 people. Yeah, no, I but know. But I've seen young comics. Look, when Peter Kay came down to London, I was on the Comedy Store recording with him in 1997. Mm. He, he just won something funny and he was doing a stand-up, uh, the Comedy Store recording. He stormed the pants out of that gig more than any of us. And then he walked to the back of the room as he finished the gig and the heads turned to watch him. They were so enchanted by his yeah. charisma. They followed him away. It wasn't enough clapping and him leaving. Yeah. They followed him. Amazing thing to see. They mm. followed him. And the next act did his entire set to silence. <laughs> now, if you're a promoter yeah. and someone with experience does a set to silence following someone who's inexperienced, you're going to notice that person's Oh, name. yeah. Yeah. So I think that this whole thing about 10 years, I, I, if anyone's listening to this, I don't mean this harshly. It can take years because you've got a day job. It can take years because you can't afford to travel up and down the country. But the the most important thing that will speed it up is unbelievable talent. And when that happens, it fast tracks you at least faster than it would do if you were working hard for 10 years mm. without that. Uh, and, and here's another thing as well. How committed are you for those 10 years? Mm. Do you... Do you have a relationship with someone that you stay in and you want to want, want to have Sunday night off and someone offers you a gig mm. for 30 quid and you think, I'm not going to Brighton for 30 quid. Or that's a ridiculous number. But, you know, <laughs> South London, if you live in London for 30 yeah. quid. You know, my philosophy was when I started, I take every single gig I'm offered. So on Sunday night, I'm planning an evening with my girlfriend and someone says, will you do a gig in South East London for 50 quid and it's going to take me an hour to get there. I took it. Because all I wanted was to get good. And you might go, what about your girlfriend? Well, she'll understand. I'll see her, I'll see her Monday night. Mm. You know, I mean, it, it, it's not uh, cutthroat to cancel an evening with someone for a gig. They understand. Mm. I want to be a better comedian. So I, I, I apologize if anyone's listening to this going, you don't know what it's like. I've been doing it nine years and I feel like I'm getting there. I understand the doors are closing slowly because the clubs aren't opening. Um, Don Ward at the comedy store apparently when someone does really well as a new act or quite well he says that was really good um, he takes me to the dressing room and points at the names of the acts on the bill on the whiteboard says right which one of these should I remove for you to get a gig really yeah that's yeah. a fair point you know people is say is he being sincere about that yes he is, is. Uh. because because if you're if you do an open spot and you do well you think well I do really well yeah but you know what you do really well when you didn't get heckled at all 
and it was the early show. Yeah. What happens when you're on after someone who's stormed the pants off in the late show yeah. and then this and a stag group starts heckling you? Will you be as good? Mm. Will you be bulletproof? Mm. No, you won't. You did well under certain conditions. Mm. And Don Ward's not stupid. He's been in the business 30, 35 mm. years. He will watch you and see your inexperience as you're having a good gig. Interesting. Yes. And I can see it too. It's a fragileness. All the stars are aligned and I can do my thing. Yeah. But there's just something you can see in their body language that suggests that they wouldn't be able to cope otherwise. You can see, you can read reams from body language. Mm. I can tell how experienced someone is as they walk to the microphone. There was, a, there was an amazing review on Chortle. I won't say which show it was, but uh, he reviewed a show that someone put on in London. And I remember in, I think it was about three paragraphs in, he said, oh, the crowd were going wild. It was, you know, everyone was really enjoying themselves. And it was very apparent that he'd invited down all his friends and family. And I don't think it has like a market beyond that or something like that. Wow. And I was like, okay. He, he you know, because like, obviously, I mean, there are signs for that. Like, you know, if you're on the way in the door, hey, Dave, you know, come on in, you know, hey, Barry, thanks for coming, you know, all that stuff, which I'm presuming the person wouldn't have done if he, you know, knew there was a reviewer in the room because you don't necessarily want to. But they could just give tell by the sound. But yeah, the they could just tell it. Yeah. And I, and I was like, that's, that's A, a sign of a good reviewer. And that was what you just said. It's a great sign of a promoter because they can read that room much better than we ever could because they've been in it, you know, 20 years and they've seen Yeah, it. no, sure. I've got a friend over from Japan. I just was in Japan. I got a friend over from Japan who's English and he was going through a set with me mm. that he's going to do in a London club. And I, there's one joke, it was about learning Japanese. Mm. And the joke made sense that it would work anywhere in the world. Mm. But I told him to drop the joke because I heard the laugh of the audience when he did it in Japan. Mm. It was a big laugh, but it was a, I could hear it was a laugh of, yeah, I've struggled to learn Japanese too. <laughs> I, it was that sound to the laugh. Right. I can't put it in words or what it sounded like if you did a lineup yeah. of laughs i could tell you the lineup yeah the, the, the sound of the laugh there but the, the point is that that was a shared experience in a room of people who yeah. lived in japan and were struggling with the language or had spent ages learning it and i told him not to do the joke in england because i could hear from the sound of the laugh yeah. that it was a recognition laugh as opposed to a that's a good joke laugh yeah it relied too much on people struggling with japanese so I told him to drop it. No, I, I know. It took me a while to realise uh, a lot the difference between a laugh of recognition and a laugh of an actual joke. Yes. Do you know when you do like a setup and it's something someone going, oh, I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah. yeah. Different it, sounds, aren't they? Yeah. And you sort of, I, I remember the first time it happened it was when it was when I was trying a new a new joke idea out and I just sort of heard it. For, like listening back to the recording, I was like, why are they, that's not, that's not a bit I pause at to laugh at. And I never paused at that point because I don't. It's not meant to be a recognition laugh that bit. It's meant to just brush over it. But I hear them laugh, like a few people. Not, you know, it's not a big laugh. It's just a few. But I was like, why is... And it's because they, someone's literally gone, I have that in my life. Yeah, sure. That's and then a, there's a cruel laugh when the heckle gets dealt with and the comedian's having a go at them. Mm. And there's a sort of slightly bullyish laugh when ah, you got done. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. And there, there were so many different laughs. Oh, yeah. But yeah. but I, I, think, I think it's also... So, I mean, I didn't plan it this way, but my, my current show... Uh, it just so happens to be the way the the, the joke the jokes are positioned through. You know, it sort of has like a very a very sort of <sighs> laugh at the start, like you know when you open the show, and it kind of builds to a thing, and then there's an instant in it, and then it starts up again. And it and I and I didn't plan it that way at all. Like I would love to say, oh, I have this great structure thing for you know what I mean. But it but it, as I as I read through it because I do um, uh, text work with it, you know where you sort of stop and you go through to make sure you can you know where the pause. That's, I'm just a bit pedantic, but you do that, and and I looked at it and I was like, oh, it's like it's literally like a 
like a graph in a weird way. Right, yes. And it's quite, and, and you sort of notice it. And it's, yes, yeah. yes, sure, sure. Where were we though? Um, I don't know, but I'm, I'm going to ask you a different, I'm going to change the narrative Sure, no slightly. problem. We were talking about how you don't, you don't have a live agent. No. But you do have a corporate agent. Yes. I have, well, I have an agent for, for writing jobs, corporates uh, and festivals. Okay. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't believe, you know, those five years I talked about bringing around, mm. I don't believe I should give 15% to someone having done all that groundwork myself. I, I earned the, I, I, the calls come in mm. and I'm happy with that amount of work. So I don't need someone getting 15% to receive those calls or proactively get more work when I'm happy with the amount of gigs I'm doing. Right. So that works out well, but we've got a good relationship and, and, uh, and it's, you know, he gets me some writing work and he gets me some, uh, you know, like, for example, 2013, I did um, Just for Laughs, mm. and it was my fifth time out there, but they had all new people, so they asked me to showcase. And, you know, I'd, I've done a tour for Just for Laughs. I've done a, you know, 42,000 people across Canada tour mm. and three festivals, and I felt very humbling. to. to I, so I ate humble pie, and I did said I'd do the um, showcase, and then he sent me an email and said that Adam doesn't have to do the showcase. And they said, yeah, you're right, fair enough. Um, can he just come down and do what material he's going to do for his TV recording? And what was lovely was, that's a perfect example of an agent doing a good job because I was going to have to showcase for something I'd done four times before. Mm. It's a bit like doing a job interview for your employee. Mm. You've already got the job, right? Yeah. And um, I think it was really good. I think it was really good work mm. because it really, I, I felt really awkward having to audition for someone I'd worked with four times before. Yeah. But I was prepared to do it. That's important. Yeah. Right. I didn't go, I'm too good for this. I don't have to do this. I did it. Yeah. That could have stung the relationship somewhat. Yes. And, and I think, you know, pride's an ugly thing, isn't it? I, I talked about me being awkward at asking people for, for writing work, which I have done. And there's a slight Oliver Twisty feeling to that. Um, if I said I, I refuse, it's really good karma because if I refuse to do that showcase, they might have thought, oh, he's really up himself and then never use me again. Yeah, like you said, and because uh, I was prepared to do it, uh, I at least showed the humility needed to. to, to I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter, does it? It doesn't matter. Do you want to go to Canada? Mm. Yes. We'll go and do a five minute gig in front of some people. It's not much to do, is it? Yeah. But, you know, ego gets in the way and luckily it didn't in that, in that case. Yeah, I think. I think you can, especially some comedians that get somewhere very fast, can be a bit, I don't know, ego-driven or, or, or well, I'm going to get some, something better anyway, so it doesn't matter. Oh, uh, right. Yeah, fair enough. And I like your, I liked your ethos of I just take every gig, like especially when you started. Oh, I yeah. Assume, I, I, only when I started. For the first four years, maybe. Yeah, I'm assuming it's not the same now. No, no, of course not. And, and, and it would be mad to do that because why should I go to a two-hour journey for 50 quid that's going to cost me 30 quid to do? Mm. It's no, It's not financially viable and I'm not I'm not no I'm I was trying you're always growing as a comedian but I was trying to get to be good enough to be a full-time paid comedian who who didn't I remember doing my last ever open spot and thinking I'm never doing an open spot again okay yeah a nice feeling you, that... you're playing every single club you want to play apart from one they say yes you're in that's it you're, that's you're done yeah because from my experience of interviewing promoters uh, like it would sort of be the um when Facebook sort of tried to launch themselves instead of going after like the biggest universities and trying to get loads of people on they went around to like five or six colleges in the area that were smaller and when they were all on it they started telling their slightly you know older brother or whatever oh you're not on facebook oh i can't add you then and so they all joined really because 
Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It would, so it's kind of like that, where you've gone to every club around that area, and if there's one left, all the promoters know that you're good enough, and they'll they'll talk because promoters do. So they'll say, "Oh yeah, you should book Adam." Is that what you that kind of thing? Yeah, or? I've often wondered how 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 Facebook got started. Who who was the first person on Facebook? Mark was the first person on Facebook. Oh, right. Who yeah. was the second then? Uh, who did you I, talk to? I don't know. I don't know. And it's the second person that's the achievement because they've got someone to talk yeah. to. Yeah, <laughs> be awkward at the moment. Um. Uh, but no, uh, the a lot of small club. But one guy told me what his thing was he'd get one big name to play his club, mm. and they go, "Hi, oh, I've got a new club. Stuart Lee's doing it." Right. They go, "Well, that's good enough. Stuart Lee's good enough. Anyone?" Mm. And then they do it. So you know, they right. get as the pin. Right. That kind of um, yeah, the linchpin to to hold the club. Linchpin. Yeah. So yeah, just hold Is that type of pin. Yeah. Uh, it, yeah. Sort of. Yeah. Got safety pins, drawing pins. Uh, Can't find a linchpin. We can we can go with a safety pin then, <laughs> okay. if that makes you feel better. Yeah, yeah. So corporate, corporate work is kind of uh, a double-sided coin for most comics because they pay quite well, and they're sort of they're just a gig so that you're usually maybe one on, like you're either the only person on, or maybe there's one other person, but that's usually like an MC or something like that. Sure. Um, but also, you, you know, they're not particularly the best environments for comedy. No, um, but I tell you what's funny. My wife gave me such wonderful advice. She said, get a nice suit when you're comfortable wearing. And when you turn up to the corporate, just walk in feeling acting positive, mm. like you're pleased to be there. And you might go, yeah, but you're only impressing one person with your body language because the other 300 in another room. It doesn't matter. You're giving off something. Mm. And there's it's an energy thing. It's quite a spiritual thing, really, because that energy's. Mm pouring out into the room without them even seeing you it's just a a a a feeling of something good's going to happen in this room you're at least showing it to the one person who then goes back and say i've got a feeling this guy's going to be good Mm. that's a logical progression i'd even say it's a more of a spiritual thing it's just this good energy coming into the world and i started doing that and the other thing i started doing soon after that was spending a whole afternoon writing on that company 
I would, right. I would, and I would have a meeting or a phone call every single time. Would never turn up blind. That'd be like a lawyer going to defend a case without any information on the, on the, on the defence, mm. defendant. I would go in and I would have a phone conversation or a meeting, coffee, with the, one of the people organising it, and I'd say, right, tell me some facts about the company that only you could know, because it's all very well doing a joke about their website, which is great to do a joke about their website, mm. but. If you do a joke about the year they've had and they bought out another company and mm. you couldn't possibly know that, th mm. they love you for that because it, n with regard regardless of the joke being funny, you've made an effort. Mm. You've actually but done some research. Yeah. So then when the joke is funny and it's well-researched, they'll, they'll love you for mm. it. And then suddenly you've walked in feeling positive, you're in a suit, you feel comfortable and mm. so you look good on stage and then you've done this research and then you do... I've done up to eight jokes. Sorry, I've done up to eight minutes on a company wow, before. Okay. That's a record. Mm. I'm realistically, I go on and do three or four jokes about right. them. But then there's three or four jokes. Then there's another three or four in the evening because mm. someone goes on and says something, and you make a note about that. Yeah. You see a logo behind you that you haven't seen before, and that's mm. got to make you think of something funny. There's a slow lift in the hotel, and you refer that to something to do with the progress of the company or whatever. And then before you know it, you've got three or four minutes on the on the company, and they they love you for it. Mm. And suddenly these tough gigs aren't so tough i i used to dread corporates now i look forward to them i'm still nervous because i'm i i, I walk in the room and i go oh my god this setup's awful but even then sometimes i ask to see the floor plans mm. and i say look um is there any way we can move the front tables a bit closer to the stage because i i'm quite touchy and i've mm. i ask questions oh i get okay i understand you know they're not, they're not out to make it bad are they no. and then suddenly uh, you've got a better setup. I've had a, a corporate. I went to Guernsey, and the setup was wrong. They hadn't considered what the comedian would be doing, and they. I I got them to move five out of six tables in a restaurant. The manager hated me, but at first, mm. but they moved it around so the audience could see me, and I had a good gig. Mm. And if I hadn't been confident enough to say this, this isn't right, mm. they wouldn't have moved the tables and I've had a tough gig sometimes I've done three or four things before I've got to the stage to make the gig better uh, here, here's one uh, one guy walked on stage and said this uh, comedian we've got for you now he's had three series on Radio 4 but is Radio 4 funny? I don't know you tell me right now how rude's that? yeah so from that day onwards I vetoed every single introduction what, who's bringing me on? John can I meet John? yes John what are you saying about me? Uh, what do you want me to say about you? Well, we have have a couple of TV credits, mm. so it, it makes them think he's not just some two-bit comic. He's actually, you know, I'm not mm. saying a two-bit comic. You haven't, but in the eye, in the eyes of a corporate audience, yeah. and um, a nice quote. And and one guy said to me, um, "I said, what are you going to say about me?" He said, "What I'm going to do is I'm going to say we haven't had a very good year this year, so this is all we could afford." And I went, "You know, I didn't say please don't say." That. I went, "You're not saying that." He right. went, what, "Why not?" I said. Because I've got enough hurdles without you belittling me. Yeah. He went, what am I going to say then? And I went, say this, that and that about me. And he went, well, I haven't got any jokes then. And I said, I'm the, I'm the yeah. comedian. You're not here to tell jokes. You're here to make me sound good. Mm. And, but, you, you know, so, so let's look at this, right? You turn up and the lighting's wrong. Mm. Find out who's doing the lighting, get him to change it. Mm. You turn up and you haven't done a sound check. And then you're wondering why you're having a tough gig. Get there in time to do a sound check. Or... Speak to the sound man and say, is the sound good enough? Have you done a check? Yeah, it's fine for spoken word. Is it? Is there a band on after me? Yes. Is the microphone set for the band? Yes. Well, can you change, take the reverb off mm. so you don't have any echo, right? So you turn up acting confident. I know as you go, that's hard to do. It's just a little bit of a front. Walking in and just going, hello, I'm Adam. Shaking hands, look him in the eye. 
excited to be there. You've got your five or six jokes you've written in advance and memorized. Mm-hmm. You look at them before you go on and, and bullet points in your, in your notepad. Seconds before you go on even, mm. as long as people can't see you doing it. Yeah, yeah. And um, you change the seating arrangement by getting there before the audience. So you say, this isn't right. Mm. I need it changed. You say, I can have, I can darn my ass if you want. But I'm telling you with experience, this isn't going to help at all. Mm. So you, do you want a good night out of this? Well, of course. Well, then please take my years of experience here and move them around. So the tables are different. The lighting might be different. It might be a distracting, whizzing uh, disco light spinning Mm. around. How do we turn that off? I can't do it. Who can turn it off? Have to get one of the managers. Can you get one of the managers, please? I've seen Brendan Burns move an entire stage at a university gig before. Well, He didn't ask him to. He told him to do it. It was really quite rude. But he got it moved. Yeah. And... um, because it was a it was a, ent, a, a freshers' night and people were wandering in and out of the room because there are other things going on. The stage was by the door, so he said it's a distraction. It is a distraction, mm. but he wasn't prepared to have that distraction. Yeah. He made them move the stage. That's that's the most extreme I've seen it. Mm. Um, but I say to them, you know, I'm I'm here to do a job, and no one wants this to go well more than me because mm. it's my dignity on the line here. So I'm just telling you now with those tables there. And that disco light's been around. They're going to be distracted and they're not going to feel intimate with me. So mm. can we move them, please? And then you've got your five jokes that you've already written and you've vetoed the introduction. Mm. I've got an introduction that I can do a, get a joke about when I walk on. So it looks like I've improvised the first line. But mm. in actual fact, I've told them the introduction. Mm. So I've got a joke prepared about the introduction. So now my first laugh is relevant to what's been said just now. Mm. And it's to an audience who are closer to me and I've got five jokes I'm about to do on the company in a suit I'm comfortable wearing. Mm. Look at all the difference that's just made. Yeah. Rather than just wandering in a room, walking on stage and going, doing your set. Mm. Of course it's not going to work. Yeah. It might work, but we're back to all the stars being aligned and you having a good gig at the yeah, comedy yeah, store. Yeah. You, you change your luck mm. drastically. And when I think about it sometimes... Um, I think about how much difference the introduction made and how much... Uh, difference changing the sound when I had a sound check it was too loud not very intimate creates that boomy sound and I think about all the things that happened there and I think I'd have had a bad gig because I just got away with it in front of a crowd with all the mm. things I've done yeah I think well take those away I'm gonna die yeah. on my ass yeah yeah so do your homework yeah yeah, yeah. And, and I suppose it's different because if you go to a club you can make a few of those you know like can I have a sound check yeah. or whatever you can make a few of those demands uh, and maybe if you know the MC, you could say, I'm, I'm working towards something. Can you introduce me with this or whatever? Yes, yes. But I suppose because you're the only entertainment, you have slightly, and, and they're investing so much in you, you have slightly more uh, flexibility to have those. Yes, but more importantly, in a comedy club, there's an audience who've all paid to be there. You don't need all those variables because they're all, right. the ones that are there are standard, like good sound, mm. and the ones that aren't there aren't needed. Mm. You Also, here's, this is... This is why I even like corporates more than clubs in a funny right. sort of okay. way. When I make a joke about the company, it's a complete bond between them all. It's about mm. them. There's nothing that audience in a comedy club have in common other than that they're all at that comedy club. Mm. But a joke about the company that they all know about is a lovely feeling. And here's the thing. Mm. When you get heckled by the office dickhead and you slam him, they've had a year of hating that bloke <laughs> to let out in that laugh. Yeah. So it's bigger. Because mm. in a comic club, someone has to be a persistent dickhead for the room to all have that mm. feeling. But I'm talking about um, even picking on a guy who you know has been a bit of a dick. Right. 
and actually actually going for him. Oh, your name's Dave, isn't it? Yeah, I heard you're the, the biggest dick in the office, right? Like, yeah, a, bit, yeah. a little bit cruel. Cool. Yeah. And um, I haven't done that outright, actually. No, no, Should no, I just no. give you an example? I asked someone who the biggest dick in the office was. They said it's uh, Dave Smith, whatever his name was. And then during my gig, a bloke got up and swaggered to the bar. He didn't do that humble walk or crouched yeah, yeah, yeah he swaggered to the bar and I went what's your name and he went Dave Smith and I went oh I've heard about you apparently you're the biggest dick in the office yeah, yeah. right well the room erupts beyond comprehension because mm. I mean it's one of the biggest laughs I've ever got because mm. I couldn't have memorised 200 names and what they were like yeah 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 I remember I remember I memorised one name yeah. and not by a massive coincidence yeah. he acted like a dick yeah because he was a dick yeah and I thought to myself at that moment I should ask who the biggest obvious dick is at every gig I ever do. <laughs> yeah. But it was just another learning curve. Mm. But my point is that you can't have that in a comic club unless that person's been a dick persistently throughout that gig. Yeah, of course. He's had two, three, four years of being a dick. Yeah. And it's a massive uh, release. release. Yeah, 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 massive release. So, you know, I've done corporates that have gone better than the club gig I've done that weekend because I've done my homework. I've had a bit of luck, like the mm. bloke standing up. That was a bit of luck, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but suddenly you go, actually, there are things about corporates you don't get in clubs. So I suppose it's a little bit like a massive wave coming towards you on the beach as opposed to a calm beach. You go, this is a horrible beach. There's a massive wave. Yeah, not if you're surfing on it, though. Mm. Do you know what I mean? If you've got a surfboard, the right equipment, you'll have more fun on that beach. Yeah. It, it's sort of, it's sort of there are more controllable variables, which means, or more researchable variables. Yes. Because, like you said, maybe there's 200 people in a comedy club, you can't Google all of them. No. Yeah. no. So therefore, if you can tap into that mm. and, and you know, you, if you can get your reins strapped around that mm. animal and ride it, you're going to have a better ride. You are. Yeah. But there has to be everything else right, like sound right, lighting right. Sometimes the sound lighting is so bad, you're just this dark person in the corner of a room. Mm. And that's hard. You have to learn that. Yes, but you also have to do all the other. The point is, you have to strengthen things like the research on the company to make you rise above mm. the bad sound and bad lighting. Because otherwise, if you yeah. just do your set as you would do in a club without a compare in bad sound, mm. bad lighting, you're going to have a tough gig. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But you're, don't blame them. No, you're not helping yourself out. You're not helping yourself out. They want to have a good time. They well, ah, ah. Uh, uh, okay. There are some where they've got a slight sneeriness towards you okay. and then that, then you've got another hurdle which is to get past that judgmental there are sometimes funny blokes at work see you as a threat who's this bloke coming into my domain right. thinking he owns a place you know you are an outsider sometimes mm. so if they greet you with open arms that's great but I have had that looking backwards not re- refusing to turn around mm. treating you like you're almost a busker because the difference between a club and a corporate is you have come to them mm. as opposed to them coming to you yeah. corporate is you visiting them yeah, they've yeah. hired the room it's their party and you're some bloke so you can get that hostility from a lot of people mm. uh, but you know being funny you'll win them over yeah but it's harder much harder of course you know no, but what I mean is you said they want to laugh I don't I don't necessarily agree with that they want to laugh sometimes they're such uh, they're so arrogant that they didn't pay for comedy remember the boss chose comedy they might be going much rather go bowling I fancy Susan in accounts. I'd rather be able to try and chat her up all night. Your distraction to my evening. So it's, I would I would argue they don't always want to laugh. I think in a comic club they always want to laugh. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. 
because they know what they're, they, they know what they're going for. Yeah, they that. paid money to laugh. Dominic Colland was said a wonderful thing to me once. I was resident compare for Screaming Blue Murder in Staines in 1996 for two seasons running. I got to the point I had no material. I turned up there with no material to compare with two years' experience. Tough. And Dominic, I was, I'm so nervous, John. I'm so nervous. I haven't got any material. And he went, look, just remember, these people have paid money to laugh. It's not that hard when you bear in mind that they want to laugh. Mm. Great advice. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Logan said the same thing to me on the course I did with the Muse Moose. He said, you know, they're on your side. They, no one comes to a comedy club no. to yell at you no. unless they're completely bladdered. If they do, it? they'll be kicked out immediately because they'll be such dicks that the club won't tolerate it. Yeah. yeah. I'd say that 99.9% of people come to a comedy club because they want to laugh. Yeah. And that's why comedy works and that's why it's so, so embarrassing when it doesn't yeah exactly <laughs> you think, oh my god even my supporters don't like me <laughs> could get awkward um okay so when it came to finding corporate gigs was it just you got approached by an agent and they started booking you for stuff or did you chase that when you were chasing spots or no it was a whole whole new circuit to crack um for, for a start a lot of the corporate agents don't book clubs so they are just another world nice. um what happens it took me years what happens is you get one and it goes all right and you never hear back you get another one from another agent goes all right you never hear back and then you do well at one and then you get in the agent's good books and the agent's doesn't do another one you get in their real good books then you become their blue-eyed boy after several years of doing good ones mm. and then suddenly they recommend you to another person and then you'll do a corporate in front of a load of company bosses. So mm. then three people remember your name because mm. they have the power to book mm. gigs. And then you get another one out of another one and then the ball starts mm. rolling. But it's so slow. And I must have been doing comedy. Let me think about this. The year I got married, I started getting lots of corpus. I needed money to pay for my wedding. I needed new windows in my flat as well. Mm. It was a block where everyone got them so you had to find the money. Yeah. Um, and uh, what happens if you haven't got the money? But anyway, <laughs> um, and... Uh, so I had the expense for a wedding and a honeymoon and new windows. And I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? And suddenly, this, this kind of the universe, I sent a message out to the universe, I need the work. And it started coming back to me. And um, being logical about it, like we're being logical about the person walking out and saying, oh, this person looks like he's going to be good. I was trying hard at those gigs because I wasn't just take the money and run. Mm. I was like, I want to really nail this. And then the work starts coming back to you, mm. be it the universe hearing you or be it there's someone in the audience who can have the power to get you another mm. gig they started coming back and I went from doing I don't know two corpus a year to, to 12 okay. and then I became a parent and my wife went part time with work and I went I need the money and I'm feeding three people with one and a half yeah. incomes rather than two people with two incomes mm. and then suddenly I put the feelers out again bigger mm. and did 20 corpus in a year which is that's earning you 50% of your income so you'll do 300 club gigs and 20 corporates, and the 20 corporates are make, making as much money as the 300 club gigs. Okay. So so 300, so 300 club gigs... Paid the same as 20 corporates. And so that'd be 320 gigs essentially in a year. Yes. Out of that. And that's paying for three people's living expenses, what you're saying, not, yeah, not a, your a, own. Because that's young, not just yours. Yeah, a young toddler doesn't actually need much. A, right. a, 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 a baby, rather, mm. is using drinking, you know breast milk and mm. you know a bit of a baby food it's not that expensive yeah. but my but my point is that i had to make up for the fact that my wife had gone from full-time to part-time yes. and i had to prepare for the fact that i was going to have nursery bills to yeah come. and but but it was 
it was a beautiful thing to happen to me. But I've been doing comedy by that point for 17 years. So it took, I probably didn't do corporates for the first five years. And then when I did them, I was doing one a year, two a year. Yeah. But so it took another, what was that, from 1998 to 2000 and let's say 10 years. So f- five years doing comedy and then another 10 years to establish myself in the corporate world. And you could even argue I haven't established myself in the corporate world because there are some people in the corporate world who don't really know I exist or don't use me. So right now, as a father of two, yes. could you make just a living off the live circuit or would you have to do corporates now? I, could, I, could, I, couldn't, make a, I couldn't make a comfortable living off the live circuit. Right. Um, That's five nights a week. BB. Yeah, no, I, but yeah, but if, no, the, the short answer is no. Right. Not with, not with a mortgage and a car and nursery fees and four people eating out of a, a fridge uh, getting through. I mean, a four-year-old and a, sorry, a, a, a five-year-old and a three-year-old actually consume a surprising large amount of food, you know. Yes. Um, you think of the little kid meals. No. Um, but no, it's not. It's, it's a lot, quite a lot of food. Um, and then, you know, it, it, the, the answer to your question is I would have to cut back on all luxuries like takeaways, restaurants, um, holidays. You could, I could scrape by. Yeah. But, but the truth of the matter is the circuit, uh, if it's paying 50% of the corporate things, uh, I do writing work as well. Mm. Uh, no, I, I, I couldn't. So you in the in the pie chart. I mean, we don't have to get the numbers, but the pie chart of your earnings. It's so if we just took performance, mm. twenty gigs out of three hundred and twenty is like maybe five percent of your of your earnings is coming from corporate, and then ninety five is coming from like like Percentage club of my stuff. work, not money, though, right? You'll be talking about well, yeah, work. Uh, oh, okay. So you want to look at this because I'm fifty percent of my money comes from corporates, but ninety five percent of my work comes from clubs. Okay. Yes. And how much, if you chucked in writing, what would that chart start Writing like? sh- shifts the, uh, I'd say, do you mean percentage of income or percentage of times I work? Well, I'd, probably do one, probably. I'd probably do one writing job every three weeks. Okay. Uh, on a busy time, mm. Edinburgh coming up, I'll do three writing jobs in a week. Right. Yeah. So, so uh, in the average lifestyle throughout the year, I'd probably do one writing job every 10 days. Okay. So that's like, so that's about 30, 35 writing jobs a year. Okay. About that. So, and and uh, versus the live work. So you said 20 corporates equals half the money for 300 live gigs. Is I mean, obviously it'll vary on what you're writing for and who it is. But I'm just trying to like assess, because obviously you've basically found different streams of income. Yeah, which is fantastic. Yeah, of the course. I'm under, isn't it? Yes, exactly. And I'm tr- and and a lot of performers when they start out realize very soon that they're not just going to be able to do the live circuit, or at least if they are, it's going to be a while until they've got enough clubs yes, that will do that. Uh, so, and also, let's sorry to interrupt. Let's not forget the circuit has shrunk a bit. Yeah. I, the late shows in London. Mm. There's only the comedy store. Mm. There used to be comedy store, Jonglers Battersea Late Show, Camden Late Show, mm. and two shows at Banana Cabaret. Mm. which wasn't early and late, but two shows running at the same mm. time. The Bananas uh, down to one. Battersea's I don't, either doesn't exist or doesn't have two. Camden doesn't have a late show. Um, Sway recently got rid of its late show, which came after the, the, the comedy boom. So mm. I couldn't count that in that list. But they now have got rid of their late show. So my point is, I used to be able to go Battersea, Ballam, 
upstairs at Ballam and back to Ballam, Ballam do four shows, yeah. which were paying 180 quid a night eight years ago, mm. I think, and have only one short cab fare mm. to pay for and, tra- and a travel card. Yeah. So I'd spend, you know, it's a very good income. Mm. Uh, so the point is that when you say about could you make, make a living as a circuit comic with two children, in the days when you were doing four gigs on a Saturday night, the answer is yes, you could. Mm. With the cutting down of late shows and you know on a Saturday you go out of town do one gig mm. or Manchester store two gigs yeah. but in London I can't remember the last time I did four gigs on a Saturday and if I there were comics going oh I did four gigs yeah but they weren't all paying uh, £210 or £180 mm. there were a couple of 180s and a and a little gig in the middle for 80 quid or 100 quid mm. you know it, it so, the, there was a time when a circuit comedian was earning a very good living mm. and I believe without doing army gigs, without doing holiday camp gigs, without doing writing jobs and corporates, that doesn't quite exist anymore. Okay. Okay, that's fair enough. But the writing job, to answer your question, percentage of income, I'd suppose circuit is 60%, corporate is 30%, mm. and writing job is the other 10 Okay. So it's actually a lot less than... in terms. Of, that's in terms of workload, not income. That's, that was, no, that's a percentage oh, that of income. income. Yeah, okay, cool. cool. It's, it's hard to say workload because a, a writing job takes eight hours to do. Mm. I mean, a club, you know, you earn your money writing. In a club, I mean, if you live in London and you do a four stops on a tube and then work for 20 minutes and arrive just before you're on and leave straight afterwards, that's a very quick yeah. money, a very quick um, income. But with a writing job, I'm looking at an eight-hour day minimum. Mm. I always give a bit more because what's the point of submitting yeah. something that's not going to make you look good. Mm. Put nine hours in, you know, arguably ten hours, and make sure that you get the repeat work. And you, and over the last twenty-two years, you've got enough sets that if you, I mean, well, you could, you could just rock up to a club, you know, your set, and and you haven't had to write anything new for that. Like 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 you would with a corporate, you might write some jokes for that. But with a club, you might you might have a joke about something in that club because you've done enough time. I just dip into my stuff, exactly. which is a bit lazy, by the way. I I could. There are comics I look at on the circuit who are always got something new to say yeah. and I feel like you know I could make a bit more effort but you know at the same time that day I might have done a writing job and my mind's been on something else how, how often would you say you write new material for you uh, it's a very slow organic process okay I've always got an idea in my head but I haven't got loads of ideas buzzing around that I'm trying because I'm probably putting my energy into children or writing jobs or uh, other personal problems in my life as well You've got to have your life in order. My mum said once that people like Bruce Forsyth who are, or Cliff Richard, who are famous for 50 years, mm. she said, you've got, to really, you've got to really get on top of life to do that. Mm. You've got to have, you know, your personal life can't be in tatters to stay on television being on good form. It's, it, I mean, yeah. it's quite impressive to hold it together, mm. to even just be able to still do it for yeah. 50 years. Quite incredible. Oh, Totally. And you and you've done uh, sort of odd stuff on TV. You haven't you haven't sort of you've had a radio series, but you haven't had your own. No, series I've never made series, but I've, I've popped up. Oh, there was a time in ninety eight, ninety nine, two thousand, two thousand one. I was popping up a lot on mm. television, but it didn't sustain. I didn't. Is there a reason for? That? Well, I don't think I'm. The thing I do well in a club, I'm not necessarily as comfortable doing in a uh, in a panel show format. Mm. You know, suddenly you're doing brand new material, competing with six other people for the for the stage. Mot the Week I did once. It was a bun fight. And this was in the days where Frankie Boyle was on it, so he was so powerful then. Mm. Uh, it, it, it was horrible. I shed a single tear as I got in the car home. 
It was so gruelling. People you'd known for years fighting over you to talk. Horrible. Was that because you had no control over edit, which meant that you no, had no, to no. get as many laughs in as possible for, to get... Okay. No, it was because they were holding on to their jobs by right. fighting for dear life to be funnier than you. Okay. Every gig's a job, a job interview for them. Did you not... You didn't view it that way? I viewed it as I was trying to be funny on the show and there were people I'd known for 15 years trying to stop me. Okay. Because I, I imagined... Because well, if I got asked to go on TV... Yeah. In a panel show, for example... I would look at it as if I do well on this one and I enjoy it, I might get other ones that I might enjoy as well. Oh, I was trying to enjoy yeah, it, yeah. but it's hard to be. If you're being repeatedly punched in the face, it's very hard to smile. Y- yes, I suppose. Was was there ever? I mean, did you did you ever? Uh, wait, let's say you were on Buzzcocks a while ago. If Long you remember time that, ago, yeah. yeah. Of the people on that panel, if you remember the lineup, did you did you ever like when there was like a bit between recordings turn to like someone that you've been friends with or known for 15 years and go is it like this all the time or like well actually the Buzzcocks like they weren't my friends because it was Mark Lamar and Phil Jubilus who were way above me on the circuit they were right. left the circuit by the time I started and then or Jubilus would hardly do the circuit and then there was uh, pop stars and mm. you know uh, newsreaders or whatever they were yeah. you know I remember it's Toy Wilcox and Kelly LaRock I can't remember the other guy but but the point is um that I wasn't around my friends but the good thing about the Buzzcocks is there are only three comedians the rest of them are singers mm. uh, and therefore you haven't got comic egos clashing all over the place mm. whereas Mott the Week is seven comedians and four of them five of them are regulars mm. five regular people who are comfortable there mm. and then two outsiders coming in oh them. it's hard mm. And you, you you presumably got some questions ahead of time and subject matters to write material on. Oh, yes. Gosh, yes. So was did, was that just part of your... You, you just wrote stuff ahead of time for that? or Yes, I wrote stuff probably at three or four days' notice and wrote some topical stuff, and most of which I didn't get to say. Um, Milton Jones is a master on that programme. He, he doesn't get involved in the battle. He sits back and waits, and just like a marksman, just one shot, bang. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, with, Beautiful. One, with one-liners, I mean, yeah. he just has to... Sort it's of, quicker, yes, yeah. it is quicker, but still, he, he still didn't compete. And I think that's really admirable that he chose, he would bide his time yeah. and just chuck the line in when it was right. Mm. Yeah, pretty cool. Were, were there any shows, I mean, even now, or when you were on lots of them, that you would have loved to have gone on that you never got the chance or you got rejected from? Um... But no, because if I got news for you, is topical and I don't really do topical stuff and you might go Mock the Week's topical but it's not Mock the Week claims to be topical but it's not really that topical I mean of course the, the round going or uh, you know the worst ever you know whatever mm. things you'll never hear in a yeah. TV studio um, that's not topical mm. whereas, whereas if I got news for you you really have to know what's going on in the papers that week mm. I think and you're going to look pretty stupid if you don't okay and Okay, so the, that's there's none of those shows that you specifically... No, no, okay. no. But I didn't, you know, I didn't desire to go on Mock the Week. I got asked to go on Mock the Week. We're back to that thing of having yeah. things come to you. I got asked to go on Mock the Week. So I said yes, because it gets five million viewers. So, you, so you're, I mean, obviously there's there's the fee, there's the exposure. And the, I mean, was there any other drive for that or except for just trying it out so that you knew if you liked it or not? Well, it was, if I can be funny to five million people, I'm going to get a much wider audience. But I wasn't. I was okay. I was all right. It's on YouTube. At this point, I've seen it. Well, at, at this point, were you uh, on social media? 
No, God no. 2008 this was. Because a lot of people go on social media, so a lot of people go on TV shows now and then I looked up on social media and they sort of add to their Twitter mm. followers or whatever. And so when you say you might get a bigger audience, I'm trying to work out, was that, were you like, did you have a tour coming up? And you thought No, be... I, well, I certainly would have a tour coming up if I did it once and twice and three times and started getting right. asked back. Yeah. Milton Jones's tour uh, was to 200 seaters mm. and the same tour got extended to 2,000 seaters. Isn't that wonderful? Wow. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. He actually, during the same tour... Multiply his audience by 10 in each town. Wow. Yeah, wonderful. So the answer to your question is, no, but it's always nice to have an audience. Yeah. Oh, of course. Um, so it's kind of just, they're quick fire ones from my end, but you take as long as you want to answer. Okay, stuff. thank you. Um, what is the best show you've ever seen? I'm Adam Partridge. As, oh, uh, stand-up show. It can be stand-up or TV. It can um, be stand-up show. Uh, Sean Locke's Edinburgh show, 2000 and... I think it was 2002 it just had me screaming just screaming with laughter um it was a show when he ended up saying that if you're offended by anything i've said don't because i made it all up and then he goes through every subject and says how it wasn't true right and he makes jokes about that on the way and it's just just awesome. magical magical okay. um so clever uh daniel kitson's preview 2005 at the albany two-hour show going to be edited down to an hour and a half huh. and uh he did two hours we were standing my wife and i was standing she'd never seen him before and as we were leaving she just went i could have happily stood for another hour of that isn't that a great sentence yeah, yeah, yeah. i could have happily stood for another hour of that yeah um yeah amazing that's the ultimate compliment isn't it really i yeah i was i went and saw louis ck at um uh, the Hammersmith Apollo and I was standing for that and I remember he did I think he did about 90 minutes and then did an encore for about 10 minutes and I remember thinking yeah I could I'll, I'll stay here for long if he wants to come back and do another really yeah it was just so it was so good that's wonderful it was oh my it was either oh my god or the one before that it was just comics was, love him don't they yeah you're not a fan yes I am a fan I I haven't I suppose his old stuff I saw him in 2001 in Kilkenny and it was just so tight but that was honed in stuff over years now he's churning over probably an hour a year. Probably not as dense, is it? Um, I think... So I, I I sort of started picking him up, as it were, in about 2010 or 11, when he'd, when he'd come up with his first hour. That was like when I first found him. And I then go, I went on YouTube and tried to find earlier stuff. And he had some TV stuff he'd done. And you, you could see, like you said, it was kind of club stuff. But if, for, for me, the difference was that felt like something he would do in a club and then just did it on TV. Whereas his hours now feel more personal and more I don't know the, the subject matters feel more authentic than the silly oh, okay okay but that's just me yeah no fair enough he came to see me by the way who Louis yeah oh okay yeah what for just, just to watch your show or? yeah amazing I know and uh this was before he was huge but it's still him <laughs> awesome yeah no that's nice isn't it yeah what what are the um best books on comedy writing or stand up you've ever read I've only read one it's called comedy writing secrets yellow cover mm. um and it was because i was new to comedy and i wanted to you know learn as much as i could and i read it but it was very uh formulaic um and it was rules of a story it has to have this and it has to have that in it and i th- thought since then i've never applied this rules to a story all i know is did the story entertain the audience did it have some some 
emotion in it, some friction in it, mm. and did it have a resolve and did it have an ending? And I didn't really apply these rules. And I think if you start applying these rules, they have to have these things. I think you can be stuck writing jokes to a formula mm. rather than just free-flowing and letting it all come out of you. Yeah. Um, I had a story about getting mugged. I dined out in it for years. And comedian Rob Heaney said, that's got everything in it. And he went through all the things there. And I didn't know that. I just yeah. knew that it was a good story. Yeah. And he went, it's got that, it's got that, it's got that, there's that, there's that. And he gets that, and he wins you. Then you win him, beat him. And, yeah, yeah. and I was like, I didn't know. Yeah. I, I just knew it worked. Right. Yeah, yeah. Some, sometimes you can... Uh, I, I work in social media for my day job. I write tweets for a living. That's my oh, job. Oh, really? Yeah, I write jokes for the internet. So sometimes we'll have a meeting and they'll have like an end point for what they want and we'll get we'll be in that meeting for two hours and by the end of it they've got we need a landing page with like a click button and then we can get into like a form and and i have to go you do know at the start of this we just wanted a new follow on twitter like we don't need and we you, you know what i mean you can you can get so into what you're doing gotcha. that you lose sight of the original that there's just a good story there gotcha yeah so i i, I get that that's quite cool um what's the biggest mistake you've ever made and how did you overcome it you're assuming I did. <laughs> so, okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, hmm. um, GLR, do you remember the London radio station? I've heard of it. I've not. Well, it, was, it was quite big in the 90s. Um, I think it probably became something called London Live or something. Um, GLR offered me a, uh, a trial run during an evening, talking and playing records between talking. Mm. And I turned it down. Because I was terrified of the technology. I was a technophobe at the time. I was okay. pre pre email, pre laptop, and I was terrified. What buttons you press? What buttons mm. you? Of course, there'll be someone with you to help you do that, mm. and they'll teach you to do it and be there if you make a mistake. But I was so terrified of buttons that that airplane dashboard of switches yeah. that I turned it down for that reason, and not that I thought I could be funny. Funny, and uh, I think that was a, a, a silly thing to do. Okay, that was a silly thing to do. But I haven't resolved it because I haven't been offered any more hosting of radio show, shows but it, uh, my instinct you know i know christian o'connell quite well and he was out to do that he was doing hospital radio yeah. it was his dream to be a radio dj and he went to he did a lovely story him and his wife moved to a different town and she got a job as a cleaner i think they both became cleaners they could just earn enough money so he could work on his radio show it's beautiful this mm. commitment this mm. lovely you know thing of people who are successful oh, they've got it all made he really worked yeah but what was lovely was that they both got together and they went, we're going to do this so you can have this. Mm. And he wanted to be a radio DJ. Like I'm reading a book on, a book on screenwriting at mm. the moment, screenplay writing. First book on comedy I've read since Comedy Writing Secrets in 1994. Yeah. Uh, it's called Save the Cat. It's the Bible of all screenwriting books, apparently. <laughs> and as I'm reading it, I'm going, God, there's a lot of work here. I don't know if yeah. I want to. Whereas sitcom pilot, mm. I do want to write. Yeah. Because I like sitcoms. I'm not a movie buff. Right. But I am a sitcom buff. So as I'm reading this book on screenplays, it's suddenly occurring to me, I don't care enough about films to want to go through that process to get right one. Yeah. So I don't care enough about Radio DJ, which is why I brought Christian up, because he loved it, mm. wanted to do it. You know, the idea of just talking for ages. Mm. And he's apparently amazing at it. Mm. He's won t 10 Sony Awards or something ridiculous. 20 Sony Awards, ridiculous. I've never ever heard of the show. No, nor have I, because I'm not a radio person. No. He's a lovely bloke, though. He's yeah. a lovely, lovely bloke. But, but, so the point is that when I said regret, to answer your question, I don't really regret that, but I feel stupid turning stuff down for reasons that are completely uh, 
easy to cope with. Yeah. You know, it's not like I don't like talking. <laughs> I was scared of buttons. Right. Um, okay. And who do you think is the most underrated person in, uh, let's say, live comedy? You. Oh, thanks. That's going on a poster. That's friggin... Well, you know, I understood um, the word you, so you can't quote it. Oh, fine. <laughs> Damn. Um, <laughs> um, I, I thought you were brilliant when I saw you. You excited me. Um, underrated. Under Otis Cannelloni. Okay. I think what? Otis Cannelloni's a comic genius, and I think he's got absolutely magnificent subtleties to his jokes. He's got jokes I didn't get till four nights in to being on tour with him. Four nights in. Is that a good... As in you... Well, no, no. It, it, it shows how I wasn't paying attention. Right. And it shows how if you pay attention, there's gifts and gems there for you to find. Right. So it's not a good thing commercially. No. The people who are uh, booking Michael McIntyre's Roadshow aren't going to see him spot that joke and go, that needs to be seen. It's, they'll go, it's too subtle if they spot it. Right. But but a, a, a little gem to be found, mm. if you can be bothered, is a beautiful thing in comedy, isn't it? Yeah. And he's just got so many. And just the, the asides, he's got just a little, you know, lines like, um, he does a magic trick and he says, yeah, I'm a, I'm, I'm a member of the magic circle. I'm sworn to secrecy. Shouldn't have even told you that. And it's just lovely little yeah. subtleties like that. Um, and his delivery is magnificent. He's got this lovely rhythm. It's very clipped. And he has the same rhythm off stage. You talked about earlier before we mm. recorded me saying you're much faster talker than you are on stage. He has the same uh, comic meter on and off stage. So he's got this very... It's his life. He's he's a funny bloke. Mm. He He's a funny bloke. And uh, yeah, I think Otis Cullen is hugely overrated. Um Roger Monkhouse is underrated. <laughs> overrated. Sorry, sorry, Otis. Underrated. I think Roger Monkhouse is underrated, but then again, he won the Comedian's Comedian Award for Best Compare last year, so that means he's being recognised by his peers, mm. but I don't think he's had the TV career that that someone with his comic ability could have had. But, you know, there are people who are... When you get good at comparing, that's what you're seen as. Oh, mm. he's he's not an act. He doesn't. He won't do the roadshow. He's a yeah. compare. Well, he's also got fantastic jokes, but mm. he is admittedly a compare, which is a bit of a curse, isn't it? Yeah. Like being a comics comic is a bit of a curse. Yeah. You know, um, being a comics comic means that the, the public don't fully appreciate how good you are. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. There's, everything has a drawback, essentially. Yes, I think being a good compare has its uh, is a curse. Okay. And when you when you look back over your career the last twenty two years, mm. what memory sticks out and makes you smile? The first time I did a gala at Montreal, three thousand people, John Stewart comparing, and my heart pounding like I can't tell you, drinking water, sipping it, putting it down, then picking up to sip it because my mouth's going dry, sipping, picking up, sipping, picking up, sipping, heart going boom, 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 boom. He's at a standing ovation, walking on stage, and it's your first gala at Montreal. That spun to mind instantly when you said that. The feeling of doing it and it going well and walking off. Pretty cool. But you know what? There's one better than that. Um, I mentioned not you, awards you're not asking for. You're not entering a competition. I entered one competition. was so you think you're funny. And I got in the final. And when they announced the winner of my heat, all the comedians are allowed back in the room. You're not allowed in the room until you go on. You're not allowed. You're kept in a coop. And you go out and watch, do your gig and come back out. Then we're all watching. And then Fred McCauley went, the winner is Adam Bloom. That buzz was un real and then the comedy store your open spot that gets you booked don goes oh you got your diary with you <gasps> like that so there there were the three first competition heat one first a 20 at the comedy store and first uh montreal gala if i had to pick one of them uh it would probably be a joint first actually i couldn't pick one of them between the comedy store and 
say anything funny. Okay. And uh, going going completely in the different direction now. So what a great sentence. If it had to be one of them, it would be a joint first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's like in Edinburgh where they go, you know, everyone's joint first. Everyone, <laughs> everyone gets an award. Uh, um, going in the other direction, what do you think is the biggest problem in the comedy industry and how would you solve it? Well, uh, I think that looking at it selfishly from my perspective, uh, the industry doesn't look at who's getting better with years, with age. They look at who's new, which is a little bit silly because there are people like me and plenty of my peers, Ben Norris, plenty of comics who've been going around a long time that are just always, always, always growing. Mm. And they're, because they've had their time in the sun, are cast aside. Like, I'm five times the comedian I was when I was uh, 27, but I'm getting a fifth of the attention. And that frustrates me because like, I'm better. Mm. because I'm 45 and I've been around 20 years, you're not interested. That frustrates me. Um, what else frustrates me? It frustrates me that um, that a lot of the younger comedians think they've got a right to become successful overnight. And I think if you love comedy, mm. then you just do it. Yeah. Do you, do you know what I mean? I mean, oh, yeah. I'm still doing it, being ignored. <laughs> it frustrates me I'm yeah. ignored, but it's not reason to stop. No. I'm doing it. Because I love doing it. Yeah. But there's yeah. some people like, where's my panel show? Where's my chat show? So wait a minute, you don't love comedy then? Yeah. You don't love stand-up? Yeah. What's wrong with doing stand-up to get better at doing stand-up? Yeah, definitely. So I think some of the young guys, I think, have got a little bit more ambition than love of comedy. Or, yeah, or talent at that point, potentially. Possibly talent, yes. Yeah. Um, if you had an extra hour in the day, how would you spend it? Hmm... I've got so much free time that I don't <laughs> need to answer that question. Okay. I'd, I'd, um, it, that sort of is for people who are so busy they don't have time to do everything. Um, I'd, I'd do it sitting on a sofa for the extra hour. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, what's the biggest thing you learnt in the last 12 months? Whew. How much my children mean to me. Well, that's nice. Do you mean comedy-wise or life-wise? Anything. Um, yeah, how much my children mean to me. That's sweet. That's nice. Thank you. I'm really annoyed that I didn't ask that. That's my last question now because that's like a really nice ending. <laughs> that was I'm your last question. No, no, there's two more. Are they, uh, uh, Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got it. Oh, yeah. Go on. Um, well, I was going to say, uh, what is the best bit of advice you've ever been given? Ah, um, I remember being nervous about a corporate and, and uh, Andre Vincent said, a gig's a gig. And I thought it was really good. It's it's four words, two words repeated. Mm. What is it? No, it's gigs plus yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it's, it's four words. And he's right. Okay, yes, there are more pressures at corporate. But when you walk on stage, you're being funny for an allocated amount of time to a room full of people. Mm. Yes, I've talked about all the pressures that make you can, variables you can change. But once you get up there, be you in a pub or a 3,000-seater theatre, you are being funny mm. to a room of people mm. and I think he's absolutely right a gig's a gig you can get past that pressure and that's probably part of the reason I do do well at corporates now is because I'm past that pressure of putting the, the William sister's dad said the only pressures are the ones we put on ourselves mm. so a gig's a gig is taking all that pressure off you can you and Wimbledon just sing as a tennis match mm. if you perform better without putting yourself under pressure then you should be able to do that yeah. if you perform better going this is the most important moment in my life then, then do that but whatever makes you uh, perform well you have to do mm. and if you start going oh a corporate I didn't my timing was off because I was at corporate 
well, you created that. This is a room of mm. people. Yes, they could be facing the wrong way. Yes, there's all those <laughs> variables. But the bottom line is you're doing a gig. And that's why I put the same effort in doing a pub gig as I do to a, to a uh, 3,000 seater. I'm trying to be as funny as I can be in that time. Yeah. If they paid less or more, it doesn't make any difference. So the best advice I got, Andre Vincent, if you're listening, a gig's a gig. And if you, last question, if you could go back to just before your first gig and give yourself one bit of advice, what would that be? Don't do it. <laughs> um, Get out now. Um, uh, what would it be? Um, you're about to make the most important move of your life. And I uh, don't, don't hesitate and change your mind. Okay. Well, thank you very much for coming on. It's been a joy. Thank you. Thank you. Cheers. That was Adam. I can't thank him enough for coming on the show. He has been nothing but supportive of my career and of all the projects I'm working on. As you heard in the podcast, he's a bit of a... uh, He likes what I do on stage and he enjoys this podcast. So I'm very glad to have him as a listener, but also as a friend in the industry. I hope you all got something out of that. If you would like to hunt him down online, you can find all the links to all of his social media profiles, of which there are very few, and we covered that in the podcast, but also his website and where you can find him live and everything in between. You can find that in the show notes or on my website, which is at simoncane.co.uk. If you're enjoying the show, please do support the show. The ways you can support it are share the link to the podcast with a friend. Please do tag me in that so I can thank you for doing it. Rate the podcast in iTunes. I'd really love to get over 40 reviews. There's only one more needed to get that over that number, so it would be amazing if you could be the 40th reviewer. Also, you can give a one-off donation via PayPal on my website, or you can give a regular donation via Patreon. If you like this podcast and you think it was worth 80p, please do sign up. Uh, Unfortunately, it's in dollars, so you would be giving a dollar, which is 80p an episode. It would be really great if you could support the podcast because it gives me a budget. It gives me something to work with in terms of traveling to meet guests and to get these things out. So please do consider joining that. Also, remember you can buy my book. Uh, It's on pre-order at the moment on Indiegogo. Again, there is a link in the description. It is called How to Make a Living by Working for Free. And it is a how-to guide and it's a how-to guide for artists and freelancers to create a community around the work they do and to get that community to support them and to support their work and the future of their career. I've had a few private orders from people who want like a few copies of books for them and a few friends in one go. If you want that, feel free to email me. The email address is all over the place. It's simon.m.kane at gmail.com. If you would like to order more than one copy or you would like to order a specific Uh, copy coming to a different country i've had a few orders uh, overseas which is really really kind if you're listening to this podcast um, and you are not from the uk and you would like me to send you a copy of the book to wherever you are in the world i can sort that out for you just send me an email and we can deal with that Uh, digital copies are five pound paperback copies are eight pound it would really mean a lot to me if you would support that project and yeah and if you're listening to this after the indiegogo campaign it will be for sale on amazon slash my website so thank you very much for listening thank you very much for donating thank you very much for sharing and thank you very much for buying my book if you do i will see you all in about 10 days time bye 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.